This is CliffCentral.com. The other thing that you need on a Monday is to get uh, someone in here who can explain cryptocurrencies to us. Everyone's talking about Bitcoin. A friend of mine the other day said to me, oh, you've got to download this app. So I downloaded the app. It's called Luno. Right? You know what I'm talking about, Run. Sure. Yeah. He said, you've got to get this and you've got to, why don't you take some of the profit you've made off of the share portfolio that you've been doing and uh, put that into cryptocurrencies and mm-hmm. see how you do. You know, I love how people talk about us as if we all understand what the hell it's all about. Right. <laughs> For some of us, we needed to be broken down, broken down, please. Yeah, please. And this is why we got Run in here. Now, Run Noiner is the um, co-group CEO of the Creative Council. They did an amazing, amazing job with that business. Uh, he and his partners started it. They run a company now that's 500 million in turnover, employing 650 permanent people. They run between 200 and 300 campaigns a year. They place up to 15,000 temporary activations people in the field on any given day. It is a monster. It was acquired by Publicis in 2015 in the biggest ever agency deal in South Africa. Congratulations, man. You guys have done amazing stuff. And then you decided, well, I've done that. Now I need to do even more interesting stuff. So apart from keeping that uh, wheel turning, you also got into cryptocurrencies. You won the CNBC All Africa Business Leader Award, Young Business Leader of of the Year in 2014. And then you decided, well, the CNBC feels like a good place to hang around. I'll start a show called Crypto Trader. And you started telling people how the whole business works. I've watched a couple of episodes of the show online. And... We have so many people mailing us, sending us messages every day. Tell us about Bitcoin. Tell us about Bitcoin. Some people have made a shit ton of money in the last little while in Bitcoin, right? A shit ton of money. A shit ton of money. We'll talk about that today um, and what would have happened if you would have invested money in Bitcoin. And even in the beginning, since the beginning of the year, you would have tripled your money. In fact, I had a guest on my show on CNBC this Thursday, and uh, he's a 26-year-old American, and he's made north of $20 million on uh, crypto. Oh my god I mean the guy is a weed smoking couch potato Made 26 million dollars 20 plus million dollars at the age of 26 On crypto unreal But have we missed the major accelerated growth curve? So I think you may have missed the bubble But Mm. the blockchain and the technology around Bitcoin Is not going going anywhere In fact I think it's a bigger revolution Than the internet revolution was in our lives um, yeah, and I don't know if you remember the dot-com millionaires and billionaires that were made and the pattern that happened when the dot-com bubble happened. So we had this like this crazy frenzy. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was it crashed or collapsed when the public got out. And then slowly, slowly, people started to invest in it. And the so, internet has changed our lives. All right. Here's what, what I understand so far because we're going to start at the beginning and you can explain this to us. Um, it's a shared ledger. Everyone in the world knows what everyone else is doing in terms of transacting there. So they all, they, 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 they basically isn't one central person or one institution that's powerful enough to control any of the transactions. They all have to be verified by each other. Yeah. Let's take a step back. If you want to understand Bitcoin, because everyone's yeah. talking about Bitcoin, but talking about Bitcoin is not actually the right thing to do because that's like talking about Google instead of talking about the internet. Right. Bitcoin is just one web page or one application of this technology called the blockchain. Mm-hmm. And if you want to understand the blockchain, then you have to understand the concept of decentralization. Mm-hmm. Now, decentralization is a movement against anything that is centralized. So if we use the most basic example of centralization, there are, there are many, but I'm going to, I'm going to show the users or the, view, um, the listeners two versions of centralization 
of centralization. Okay. The first one is a bank. So if I want to give Gareth a hundred rand, I have to go through a bank and the transaction gets vetted by a bank and has to be stored on the bank's computer and the bank decides the transaction fees. And if the bank gets hacked, then my record is gone. And if the bank for some reason doesn't want to put the transaction through because they think I'm a money launderer, they can stop the transaction. So what we can see is that the centralization is quite bad. Hmm. So in 2000 and in 2008, a guy or a bunch of people called Satoshi Nakamoto, now no one knows who the Satoshi Nakamoto is, writes this white paper. And in the white paper, he says, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to make a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. What is peer-to-peer? No bank in between. Mm-hmm. And then you ask yourself, if there's no bank in between, who confirms this transaction or who processes, who processes the transaction? Mm-hmm. Who keeps the record of the transaction? And the answer is that it's a bunch of computers all around the world who confirm the transaction. So I can plug my computer in, you can plug your computer in, you can plug your computer in, everybody can plug their computers in, and we can all confirm transactions. That way, if you want to raise your fees on your computer, what do we do? We kick you out the network. Right. So it's a, it's a movement against centralization. It's, it's a movement the democratization for, of currency. Democratization of everything. Let me give you another example. There's this big company. You may have heard of it. It's called YouTube. <laughs> you heard of them? Yeah. Mm. So they are the epitome of a centralized business. Why? Because they have big servers yeah. where you go and make amazing content. Uh-huh. They store it on their servers. If right. they don't like your content, what do they do? They, they censor it. Demonetize you. Yes. They, they demonetize you anyway because uh. you spend hundreds, thousands of rands creating content. Yeah. They decide whether or not they're going to show your content right. and who they're going to advertise it to. Mm-hmm. And if you make any money from the advertising, it's a miracle. I don't know how many times you've posted stuff on YouTube and actually got a check from YouTube no. for the hits that you've got. So the blockchain believes that that's wrong and that every contributor in a decentralized fashion can be allowed to contribute. And not only that, if you contribute, you should earn. So they created a blockchain version called DTube. Now, on DTUB, every time that you get a hit, you get the money from the advertising because hmm. it's decentralized. Right. Because every single contributor… So, how long until DTUB puts YouTube out of action? I hope soon, but I think yeah. the uptake is going to be quite long. I think the uptake is going to be a couple of years. But what, we, what I'm showing you is that there's this distributed ledger technology or this technology that completely um, takes away anything that's centralized. And it puts everything on its merits, right? Exactly. So if, if Run is selling something that I really want and I can pay him in cryptocurrency rather than in any other currency, I'll decide the price. He'll decide if it's acceptable and we'll deal with each other like human beings instead of with this power dynamic where one person has the control and the other one doesn't. More than that, it allows every single contributor in the ecosystem to earn money. So right. why? The miners earn money. The miners are the computers that confirm the transactions. Remember, we right. spoke about the computers that confirm the transactions. Right. Those are called miners. They earn Bitcoin or they earn currency for confirming transactions. Um, let me give you a perfect example. Say that I wanted or you wanted to start a computer game and you wanted to call it the Cliff Central computer game mm-hmm. and you didn't have money. Mm-hmm. So what this decentralized economy allows you to do is to get contributors from all around the world to help you build the game and when they help you build the game you can reward them in cryptocurrency and the people who want to play the game must pay in cryptocurrency and if you need a big computer to run your game you don't need it anymore because you'll get miners and you'll reward them in cryptocurrency and you'll launch your own coin called the cliff central computer game 
And and there's no limit to how many of these cryptocurrencies could exist, and it doesn't matter necessarily. And how do we determine a value for them? So it's exactly the same as when the internet bubble started. Right mm. now, it's all on a hope and a prayer and relative valuation relative to their peers. So you've got, you know, you look at two companies that do more or less the same thing. You evaluate where they are and you compare the one against the other. If you ask me the, the altcoins or the alternative coins, as they're called, in my mind, are rather overvalued. But I probably would have said that about Google and, and Yahoo all those many years ago when we spoke about what the internet was going to bring to the right. world. Yeah. The difference... The biggest difference between the blockchain and the internet is that the internet was a content revolution. That's all it is. Mm. The internet allowed us to, to spread content faster, better. Mm. Even today when you shop online, you're not actually transacting on the internet. You give your credit card details and you press buy. Hmm. And the transaction kind of happens off the internet in some box somewhere. In a right? bank, yeah. In a bank or in a, in a terminal, right? Yeah. The blockchain is not like that because the blockchain, the transaction happens automatically. The blockchain, for example, allows that when you look at a certain piece of content on the internet and there is advertising there, to be paid based on the number of seconds that you give attention to the advert. It's brilliant. Now, that's what the blockchain allows you to do. Mm-hmm. And so what it's done is, whereas the internet was a content revolution, all it allowed was to, for us to share content. The blockchain is a transaction uh, revolution because everything on the blockchain is transactive. Every time you view something, it's transactive. Every time you click something, it's transactive. It, and, and the payment mechanism is a cryptocurrency. So my buddy and I just want to know, must we get in now? So... It's tough to answer that. I get this question every day, of course, being on CNBC and being the crypto trader. Um, Bitcoin's had an unbelievable run, and so have the other cryptocurrencies. And now we're seeing the Chinese government trying to regulate the space. So they banned ICOs. And you know, when the Chinese government speaks, it's not like when our government speaks. When they speak, they speak. They actually get things done. They get things done, and everybody listens because everybody knows that if they don't, they're going to go to jail. And their jail is probably not such a pretty place. And, of course, they have firewalls up in the Internet. You can't get into Facebook in China. You can't necessarily use some of the things that we use on the Internet. There. Yeah. The irony is that the Chinese were actually the first drivers of Bitcoin. They were the biggest traders of Bitcoin. Aren't they also the biggest miners? They are the biggest miners today of Bitcoin. So it would be kind of strange for me if the Chinese government – the Chinese government is talking. There were rumors on Friday afternoon that the Chinese government was talking about banning Bitcoin trading in China. Wow. Now, it sounds counterintuitive to me, and I'll tell you why. It was, were, it was only rumors. It hasn't been confirmed by the People's Bank of China. It's just speculation at this stage. But it did drive the price down from $4,700 a Bitcoin, and mm-hmm. I'm watching it now on my screen, and it's 4137 So the rumors have had some impact on the market. But we haven't heard anything from the People's Bank of China. Now, why do I say it's counterintuitive? Because they are the biggest miners, and the reward that the miners earn is Bitcoin. So they're going to have all this Bitcoin – that they're not actually going to be able to trade. And I think the Chinese government is smart enough to know that Bitcoin mining is like the new form of mining now. Mm. And we know that traditionally China has been a, a massive investor in mining. So it sounds a little bit counterintuitive to me, but if the rumors are true, they are worried about this money laundering thing around Bitcoin. And it is quite easy to move Bitcoin from person to person or from border to border. So if someone like Vladimir Putin, who we know is not exactly the cleanest head of state in the universe, if he suddenly had to take a fifth of his purported wealth and convert it into some sort of 
online currency. Let's say he just bought volumes of it. Yeah. It would be totally legit. Yes. In fact, uh, Putin has been one of the biggest adopters of cryptocurrency. He signed, the Russians signed a contract with a guy called um, Vitalik Buterin, uh-huh. who created the second biggest cryptocurrency, a cryptocurrency called Ethereum. Right. And they've created a, a, a venture, a joint venture, to create an Ethereum Russia. Huh. So, so, so the Russians are very much into this cryptocurrency. But I think to talk about cryptocurrency and about the money laundering or the, or the bad side of it is, is a mistake. There's always going to be… It's like, that's like saying that every time you talk about the economy, you're talking about crooks and criminals and or when you talk about the internet you're only talking about you know the stuff that you're not allowed to see on the internet yeah the internet's got many 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 uses of which one percent is probably the stuff that you're not supposed to be looking at right okay so you still haven't answered me is it is it the right time now would you get in now if you hadn't had any dog in this fight before i would if you were if you had a hundred uh hundred percent of your portfolio, I would probably put ten percent in now. Okay. And I'd start watching it as it goes down and down and down because it is going down because of all these rumors. And slowly start buying it on the way down. So my rule is generally I never ever buy I never ever sell on the way down. I only buy on the way down. And when it goes up, then I start selling on the way up. Oh. It's a psychological thing. As it goes down, people panic and it goes down even more. Yeah. And when it goes up, everyone thinks they trade so well, so they drive up the price even more. And so I, I made myself a rule after being burnt many, many times on crypto. You buy on the way down, you sell on the way up, and never shall you reverse that. And every time I have, I've burnt myself. And how many of these currencies are in existence? So today there are about a thousand cryptocurrencies in circulation. Sure. Um, the total market cap of the currencies is about $150 billion. Um, so more interesting statistics. More money has been spent on crypto this year. Than on venture capital. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huge. They've raised these companies, these companies which do what they called ICO or initial coin offerings, which would be the equivalent of Gareth launching his computer game and launching a new currency. They've raised about $2.5 billion since the beginning of the year. I just want to, um, while you're here, because I, I, we're not finished talking to you, if you can <laughs> hang around a little bit longer. Uh, Rich Mulholland's on the line. It's time to check in on our, our Monday reality check. Hey, Rich, good morning. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Hi, Richie. I'm good, dude. You? Good. Where are you? In Siberia? You have the worst line in the universe this morning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I can. No, I'm sitting at home, but I can hear myself come back at me after every <laughs> after every second. All right, so this is amazing because you're you're not even that far away, but you sound like you're miles away. And we spoke to a listener just the other day from I don't know San Diego or from South Korea, and they sounded perfect. So you never know. Are you in? Are you interested in in cryptocurrencies, Rich? Yeah, I'm an investor in a crypto business down in Cape Town called Invest with Simon Dingle, mm-hmm. and um, I've done fairly fairly okay. Although I do think that this is the worst thing to brag about. I don't care how well you've done about uh, in uh, crypto. You shouldn't be telling people. Like I actually worry for Rand because we know he's wealthy and we know he's invested, and. Um, Basically, because of the way the blockchain works, if somebody comes into your house, puts a gun in your head and says, hey, man, you know, give me your crypto key. It's basically like saying, hand me the wallet with all the cash in it that you haven't bothered to write anywhere else. I'm going to take it straight away and the ledger will just accept it because it's, uh, 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 you know, I'm now the owner of it. It's quite tricky. Does anyone know? I think there's a future companies? for banks. Uh, 
What, what did you say? Does, does anyone know? Does anyone have a bodyguarding company? Oh, uh, right. Anyone with a bodyguard, send them on to Ran just now. He'll, he'll need it. All right. So, sorry. You, 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 must, have, you must have had... Um, I'm, I'm well, sorry. To, think... Go on. Shit. <laughs> okay. So, I think there's actually a future. We talk about banks being the end of banks, but people... Banks weren't originally about transaction. Banks were originally around protection. These guys would go and they'd mine stuff and they would uh, get this big bag of gold and they wouldn't want to carry that run because that was a risky, that was a, a, a risky state of affairs. So they would go to this table, they would sign it into a ledger and the banker would look after it. And once it was in the ledger, it was safe. And then when you needed it again, you'd go back and you'd sign it out with the ledger. Now that's mm. technically what we're still doing. The bank has evolved into being more of a transactional uh, 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 middleman. And I think while the, we may do away with that, uh, will probably require some degree of a middleman that will have to exist to uh, escrow your payments. So I would rather have all my currency sit in because the wallet is, is exactly that. It's a wallet. It's a place where you store something on your person. But I don't keep everything in my wallet. And the best thing is if I lose my wallet, if I'm in the States on business and I lose my wallet, I phone the bank and I say, hey, I've lost my wallet. And they say, no problem. We'll get a card to you tomorrow, anywhere in the world. And that's fine. And I can still transact and I can withdraw money using my phone. The problem is if you lose your, your Bitcoin wallet or your Ethereum wallet or you use your, you can't get into it, you're screwed. There's no way to get back in. And I think at some stage will require a holder of wealth, a middleman that will still react. Um, that will still sorry, be there so that if somebody comes in and steals my Bitcoin key or my whatever it is, my security key, then I'll still be able to cancel that transaction or cancel that key and be able to get a new one the next day because the value will technically be stored by a third party. It'll take a small percentage. And I think while we are doing away with an old world of problems, my belief is that we're probably creating a whole new set of them, which will require a whole new set of solutions. I, I feel that the medium and the means is revolutionary, but it's not, it's not taking into account uh, human nature enough. I don't know where Rand is on that. What do you think of that? Look, I think you're right. And I think, like I said in the beginning of the show, we're going through a revolution. And, and when we go through a revolution, it means that people's roles and jobs and positions and companies get redefined. So, we, the, you know, the human race has been through many revolutions before. We went through the Industrial Revolution many years ago. And all we did was change the jobs or change the roles or create new types of companies. So this is definitely a step forward. And now what we have to do is we have to create these new type of companies. And I think what you're talking about uh, – Around a wallet is um is certainly something that that will happen. I know that some of the wallet companies have already already given you backup wallets and and stuff like that. Um, I lost my wallet key. I'm I'm, I'm quite embarrassed to say it. I had a, a lot of Bitcoin in the wallet and I lost my key. And I got onto the onto the 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 mail with the, the the wallet holders. And within an hour, I had a new wallet key and all my all my coins were in the new wallet. So it, I, I don't think it's it's that bad. I think it's just we're in the beginning of an industry, and we still have to define all these all these companies that are going to be built around this industry. What I can say is because of the decentralized nature of this industry, it allows for everybody to jump on the bandwagon and to create these businesses that add value to the blockchain. Can I just ask you both, because you will have both dealt with this, the banks must be fairly afraid of this. Sure. The banks and the central banks are, are very afraid of this. The banks are trying to adopt the blockchain technology to make themselves more efficient and to make themselves more reliable, etc., etc. Um, I think most of the big banks here have got blockchain task teams. But again, they're only in the beginning of this, of this mm. revolution. I've seen crowdfunding websites or, or blockchain-built crowdfunding platforms that will put banks out of business. 
Hmm. So if you want to build a house, instead of going to a bank, you can go onto this crowdfunding platform on the blockchain and you can raise money on this crowdfunding platform on the blockchain. There's no 10% deposit. There's no 15% mm-hmm. interest. There's, you can structure it how you want. And other people in the crowd decide whether or not they want to fund you. Right. That's kind of like bye bye banking. That's clever. All right, Rich, so we're interrupting you. You've got a, a little reality check for us on this Monday morning. Go ahead. Okay, well, I, you know what? In the spirits of not killing it, I'm more than happy to, to put mine out for next week and carry on this discussion around the blockchain because I think that, um, that there's a lot of interest there. And right. um, the bank thing, you know, when, when Ran mentioned about the wallet company being able to give that, the, you know, the money back or the key back, that's exactly what a bank does. So it's just it's kind of a bit of a rose by any other name. We talk about the end of the banks, but it's actually just the 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 end of banking as we know it, and the beginning to me the beginning of something new. Now whether all the old banks will make the leap to become blockchain banks mm-hmm. is is uh, uh, almost un, you know terribly unlikely. However, I do believe that we will see some of them making the leap, and I'm sure Rand has had. In fact, I know Rand has had uh, bankers on the show uh, that are you know leading the way in South Africa with regards to that thinking. Rand, don't you imagine some of them will make the leap? I do. Um, I'm, I also am interviewing someone on my show next week, which is starting a blockchain virtual bank. So it's a bank with no hmm. branches. And what they've done is they've, it's a, it's a, it centralizes service providers on the blockchain to create a bank. So it looks like a bank. You have a card like a bank, but you procure, your, you procure the services from many service providers who are decentralized on the blockchain. So if you imagine the bank sits in the middle, there's a blockchain home loan company uh, on the one side. There's an insurance company on the other side. Vehicle financing. Vehicle financing, etc. Right. And they create this virtual bank on the blockchain. Uh-huh. No centralization. Brilliant. No centralization. It means that, I mean, if this guy gets it right, and he's a very young Estonian guy who's mm-hmm. based in Singapore, very smart people. You can't imagine how smart these guys are. But if he gets this right, he creates the world's first virtual bank on the blockchain. Can you imagine? It's a it's a crowd-funded, crowd-sourced, decentralized bank with every single service that a bank can give you internationally, without borders. Um, just imagine. Imagine that you could raise um, money for ventures at U.S. interest rates. Amazing. Because you've broken down yeah. borders. It, it kills uh, the, 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 the importance of geography. It kills the importance of the state. It kills the importance of the central banks, and it takes authority and gives it back to people. They have their own agency suddenly to be able to do things without having to check and get permissions and conform to the old rules and regulations. So you understand So I don't agree, guys. All right. I think – okay, so here's my point is we can currently transact internationally with no problem. I can send an email to PayPal somebody, and I can give them money immediately. The only reason I'm paying the money is because the law has decided to regulate that. Now, the moment we start transacting more and more and more, you know, if the government comes out tomorrow and they turn around and say there is a rule, if you don't make claim to your crypto trades and things like this, anything you bring in has to go through exchange controls. Once those laws are in place, it doesn't matter that it could function without government. The government will want their take. And the other is, is we're also creating a permanent, easy-to-find ledger of every single transaction. So you can't even bullshit the government anymore. Like, you can't say, well, I didn't make this. To some degree, this will help the governments because you can't go out there and say, I did not buy this for X and pay this and gain this much. 
because we know exactly what you did at every single day. There's no hiding it. It's written into the same ledger that every other transaction is in, at least with regards to the blockchain ledger. So right now we're in a bit of the Wild West where we're operating without borders because the governments have still not worked out how to, to control that. But as soon as they say this is the law, it is the law, and you can argue that you don't need to, but once they make it the law, if you break the law, you'll find yourself in Baltimore with a, with a, a special friend. Hmm. Rich, I think what we're saying is exactly the same thing. So I think that governments, I think the current system for sending money overseas, you used that example, so let's carry on with that example. It's a little bit inefficient, and the reason why it's inefficient is because the government has had to put in many laws to monitor what's going on and to make sure that they have a ledger of what's going on so that they can tax you accordingly or they can, or they can, uh, reg- or, or they can calculate accordingly. With the blockchain, they're not going to need that. So all they're going to need to know is which exchange or which wallet did you put your money into? How much money did you put in? And eventually, how much money did you draw out? And like you say, every transaction from that point on is stored in some kind of ledger somewhere. Unless, of course, the transactions are done in these anonymous coins, coins like a coin called Zcash or a coin called Monero. And with those coins, it's really impossible to work out where the money went to or what you did with the money. But also, uh, Rich. Well, that's just money laundering. We can do that now. It's just not legal. <laughs> yeah, well, isn't money laundering just what people do so that they don't have to pay taxes? And you have to ask, is taxing people the most efficient way to provide them with services? And are states the most um, effective and efficient way of dealing with how we need to collaborate, how we need to associate ourselves with each other, how we should organize and structure the world, because I think all of that is up for grabs right now. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I think this is the beginning of a revolution. <laughs> and I think by me, it is a revolution, which means that everybody is going to have to change what they do, especially and even governments. Hmm. But death and taxes, death and taxes, they'll, they'll find a way. Sure. The government isn't going to sit back and say, oh, well, you, they're now trading using a new, you know, this is a revolution the same way going from a written ledger to electronic banking. Uh, and granted, I think actually going, you know, it seems smaller from the outside, but I think the blockchain is actually a bigger revolution than going from paper to digital. Going from digital to blockchain, I think, is a bigger, a bigger leap. But I think they will figure it out. Because, again, to some degree, the banks, and uh, you know, they're leading the way and they're regulated. Look, the Swiss government, the Swiss government, which has always been the center of finance and banking in the world, they've set up a special task team to investigate a framework to make this legal. The Israeli government, which is another one of these very progressive governments, has also set up a special task team to, under, to, to make this thing legal, but within a certain framework. I understand that the South African Reserve Bank is also starting to look at it, you know, whereas two, three years ago they said Bitcoin is a swear word. Today, it's less of a swear word, and they, they're also starting to, to look at, at how, to, how, how the world is going to change. Rich, if you don't mind, I'm going to let you go. Um, we, we've, uh, we've got a – the first of all, the line is terrible. We've got a guest coming in just now, and I didn't want Run to have to spend his whole morning here trying to explain to idiots like me how blockchain <laughs> works. But this is a step in the right direction. So we've started to understand it. So what's the best way to – if I've decided that I do want to have 10% of all my portfolio in cryptocurrencies, what's the best way to do that? So in South Africa, there are one or two exchanges. You mentioned at the beginning of the show, you mentioned the Luno exchange. That's mm-hmm. probably the best and biggest South African exchange. All right. You go into Luno, you take your rands, and you put your rands into Luno. 
Right. Now, at that point, you've got a South African rand balance on your account. So say that you want to put 10,000 rand in, mm-hmm. you've got 10,000 rand in your account. Now you watch the Bitcoin price on Luna. So you'll, it'll be 50,000 rand of Bitcoin, 45,000 rand of Bitcoin. And when you think the price is low enough for you to get in, then you press the buy button. Mm-hmm. And effectively at that point, you're swapping your rands mm-hmm. for Bitcoin. Now, very important for listeners, you don't need to buy a full Bitcoin. You can buy 0.1, 0.01, 0.001, which means that if you want to invest 20 rand in Bitcoin, you can do that. If you want to invest 20,000 rand in Bitcoin, you can do that. So you buy the coins, you now got a Bitcoin balance on your account. And you can send it overseas, you can trade it, you can hold it, um, you can do whatever you want with it. It's very clever. All right, Ryan, you just started something, and uh, we're going to have to check in with you again. But thank you for coming to spend some time with us this morning. And I hope uh, we'll see you in, in the next few days. Good luck with the show. Don't miss the show. It's called Crypto Trader. It's on CNBC Africa. And uh, you can also get it on the internet. You can get it on the internet. There's, right. a, there's a YouTube link. I think if any listeners still want to know anything about crypto, my Twitter handle is at CryptoManRun. That's uh, CryptoManRan. Get me on, on, on my Twitter handle and I'll answer any questions that you may have about crypto because I know it's quite a tough field to navigate. Mm. Well, yeah, but you've, you've helped us to understand a little bit more than we did before you came in. Trust me. Right, my buddy? You, look at her. She's buying hers right now. I, I mean, I didn't know that there are at least a thousand different currencies in crypto land. So <laughs> I've learned, land. I learned something new today. For 100, sure. 150 billion. That's two trillion rand Jeez. worth of crypto in circulation. Mm-hmm. Just think about the numbers. That's Jeez. unreal. It really is. That's just. <sighs> and the founders of these companies are these. Young computer geeks based yeah. all around the world working on projects. It's the craziest thing I've ever Here's seen. Here's a question for you quickly from Hugo. He says, is it worth buying a 50K computer to mine cryptocurrency when your repayment on that hardware is about 11 months, but by the time your computer is outdated and you're not able to mine at a profit compared to electricity usage and outdated hardware costs that you have to cover? Is it worth investing in hardware or just the trading? So today your payback on, given the current rates, your payback on a computer is about three months. So you'd, you'd, you'd easily double your money before your computer went obsolete. So yes, I think today it does make sense to mine. I think it's two different disciplines. One is trading and trading is, is one discipline and one is mining. And to be a miner, I think you need to be a little bit more technical. You know, if something goes wrong, I'm definitely not a miner, but no. what I do is I invest no, in I've these got, I've got mining pools. I've got a friend who's got like, 10 machines and he's got an air conditioning unit and he's and he's got a Ferrari as like, well I don't know <laughs> <laughs> if he is he's hiding it from me but he's got the systems to be able to do this a lot of people are, ma- are still making a lot of money in, in Bitcoin mining or in mining the alternative coin so yes it's, it's very profitable but you need to know your way around a computer you, you need to know your way around you know if something goes wrong and you need to know your, your way around data etc etc thank you so much Ron Great, let's do Thanks, it again. Man. Absolutely, we'd love to. All right, run Noinair, everybody, and you can catch him on Crypto Trader. That's on CNBC Africa. This is CliffCentral.com.